forever. Dog! I never was interested in the leading lady. Ever, ever, ever. I was never drawn to them. I didn't care about them. To me, they were totally boring and uninteresting, and I was always so interested in who surrounded the leading lady. And I've always been drawn to people who were, like, fringe characters. Character actors have always been, for me, like, an extension of just my general worldview. Lit me up and made me really excited. It just, it because it not only shaped, like, the way I viewed myself as an actor, but kind of my life. Welcome to Household Faces, the podcast where a character actor interviews other character actors. I'm your host, John Ross Bowie. You might know me from The Big Bang Theory or Speechless or one episode in season one of Glee. I was the yearbook photographer. Our guest this week is another Ryan Murphy alum, Leslie Grossman. Leslie, full disclosure, is a dear friend. But that's not why she's on the podcast. She's on the podcast because she's done four great seasons on American Horror Story, where she's got to do a bunch of fascinating, diverse characters. She was on The Good Place. She was on the cult hit Popular. She was on What I Like About You. She has one credit where she has a truly ghastly wig and she has basically admitted, well, I mean, the star of that movie admitted that it was a cash grab. It doesn't sound like it was a fun gig. We'll get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my dear friend and your new favorite guest, Leslie Grossman. <laughs> Leslie Grossman, I, I have something to say to you. Uh-oh. Okay. You are our very first in-person guest on Household Faces. Is that true? It is absolutely true. Oh my gosh, The studio has only been open for a few weeks, hmm. and I did one yesterday via remote. The guest was in Miami, but you are our first in-person in the 10 months or so we've been doing this podcast. Um, uh, I would like our listeners to know that uh, Leslie and I are taking the pandemic seriously, and we are <laughs> testing regularly for work, sure. and we are vaccinated and boosted, but we are in person, and uh, a comfortable distance from each other. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, Leslie's uh, storied and, and fascinating <laughs> career. so funny, because do people know that you and I are like best friends, that we're uh, very good friends? <laughs> well, they do now. I, don't, I have no intention of cutting that. It's funny, because you're being very professional, and this is your podcast persona, and I haven't seen your podcast persona yet, so... I'll just pretend like we're we don't know each other personally. No, no, that's fine. No, well, here's the thing: it's gonna, it's, it's. Um, I like to get off to a, a good start, and I, I like to get things off to a, a professional start. And I, I don't like the the really self indulgent chatty podcasts. Sure. You know, I want like conduct an interview here, but I'm not going to pretend that I don't know the answers to some of these <laughs> questions that are coming my that are coming your way. Okay. All right. Okay. But we'll find a happy balance between like jovial and Terry Gross. I will try to surprise you with my answers. So I have no doubt you will. I want to talk first about American Horror Story. You've done what? Four, four seasons. Four seasons of American yeah. Horror Story. Um, do you have, I mean, they, you've done great work. What is it like being in this, the Ryan Murphy repertory players? It's the best. It's a dream for an actor. I mean, it's the greatest thing that could ever happen. How so? Well, first of all, feeling like you're part of a troupe for a television show is incredibly rare and amazing. Um, and because unlike regular series, 
first of all, you never know year to year if you're coming back. So every year feels like your last. Exciting. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> you really appreciate it when you're there because you're like, this could be it. Well, what we need in this business is just a little more unpredictability. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, and also because it's an entirely different story every year and you play an entirely different character every year. So it it's the least boring job on the face of the planet. But not only that, um, I've just, like, personally the show has meant so much to me because I've made some of my dearest friends now from working on the show. And so it feels, I hate when people say stuff like this, but it does feel a little bit like home, a little bit like a family. Sure, sure. A deeply fucked up and dysfunctional family, but a family nonetheless. And I just really enjoy being there, and I enjoy the people that I work with. I mean, the the caliber of actor that I get to work with is pretty incredible. And, you know, to work with people that I'd long admired um, is really a gift. So, You know, we actually um, – I usually save this question for later, but mm-hmm. it's coming up so organically right now. Okay. Um, both on AHS and elsewhere, who were some actors, and not necessarily, you know, big leading women type, but who were some actors sort of on the fringes, some character actors oh, that gosh. you loved uh, looking at when you were when you were coming up? Oh, okay. Well, first of all, I was a real comedy nerd, like a real comedy nerd. So like The 2,000-Year-Old Man was something I listened to a lot, and I love Carl God, Reiner and I Mel Brooks. I love The 2,000-Year-Old Man. Yes. I wonder if it ages well. I, I haven't know, listened I haven't, to it in forever. Me neither. But as a little, little kid, I listened to that a lot. And my... Oh, Phil. <laughs> Please don't kill us, Phil. <laughs> so my my mother took me to see High Anxiety in the theaters. I, so did, I saw High Anxiety in the theaters. We were little. We were really We were like little. seven. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's 1978, 1970. I think that's before my parents got divorced. Yeah, so I think both my parents took me to see that, which is saying something. Very long time ago. And I remember just being so obsessed with Mel Brooks. Yes. Well, what's interesting is is you we both go see High Anxiety, but I'd be shocked if either of us had seen a Hitchcock film yet. No. So it's just working on its own. We don't understand why these particular bits are funny necessarily, but there's just such manic commitment Correct. that we're able to enjoy it even without understanding what it's parodying. Well, I also think just, and you know, look, it only took me three minutes to say this word, but the Jewish aspect also was something that, you know. Ooh, time out, you're Jewish? <laughs> and you are Jewish adjacent, so you get to, your <laughs> grandfathered in. But I appreciate that. There was, there's also something about that sensibility that, you know, I just organically, like on a cellular level, was drawn to. So I love them. Um, I was obsessed with Saturday Night Live as a kid. I, yeah. I mean, it was a very big deal to me every week to try to make myself stay awake through Love Boat through the half hour of the local news to make it up to 1130 to watch SNL. I beg your pardon. It would be Love Boat Fantasy Island local correct. news. Okay. You're correct. And Fantasy Island, by the we way, are the same age, okay, if you haven't gathered this already. Fantasy Island, terrifying. Like, truly terrifying. Genuinely upsetting. I remember the, I remember one where Robert Reed played a vampire. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I remember there was one about Jack the Ripper. Like, it was mm-hmm, just very upsetting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you're correct. Excuse me that I had flip-flopped those. Um, <laughs> and so Saturday Night Live was very important to me, and particularly Gilda Radner, all the mm. women on that show. But Gilda Radner, and again, there was like a Jewish simpatico, but she, to me, was Roseanne, Rosanna, Dana. There was that, I don't know if you remember, she did this great... This thing called Jewess Jeans. I do remember Jewess oh, Jeans. Oh, my so God. And, and weirdly ahead of its time, too. Yes. Yeah. And then she had a character where she played a little girl. And mm-hmm. she just, to me, was the pinnacle of what I thought was be- funny. But she also was so had so much heart. And there was such love in her characters. And there was no, there was no anger or edge. It was always 
sort of there was always a sweetness underneath all of well, it. Well, even the nerds, the things she and, and Murray would do yeah. together. Uh, so I, sweet. Todd DeLamuca, and I can't remember what the, the girl's name was, but um, the fact that I pulled the Todd DeLamuca is an astonishing waste of my resources. But um, <laughs> but even there, they're you know they're it doesn't even feel like punching down. They no, love these guys. Yeah. Those two characters love each other. Yes, exactly. So there was They're a, dating in real life at the time. Exactly. So there yeah. was a sweetness there that I really loved. Um, also, Whoopi Goldberg did a like a one-woman show where mm-hmm. she did several characters that Mike Nichols ended up producing, and it was mm-hmm. on HBO, and so they filmed it, and my mother rented me the VHS tape. Yeah, yeah, God, it yeah. might have even been Betamax. That's how long ago it was. Um, top loader in the living yeah, room. Literally. Yeah, literally. I sure. can't remember what it was called, and now I feel horrible that I can't remember the name of what that show was. But she played several characters, and that really blew my actual mind when I saw that. I'd never seen anyone like her. Mm-hmm. I'd ne- and, the, and that was, like, hilariously funny, but then full of, like, pathos and pain. And it was just brilliant. And that really, like, made – that imprinted on me. And I was probably – 11 or 12 when I that was the early 80s mm-hmm. when I saw that um I love Lily Tomlin so mm-hmm. so much incredible shrinking woman meant a lot to me yeah such a great movie and I just yeah, prayers um, after Charles Grodin exactly yeah. um and like even like watching Bewitched like I loved Agnes Moorhead like I oh. and you know I know that like all little girls you would think would want to grow up you know to be the what's her name Elizabeth Montgomery. <laughs> yes exactly but I thought her mother was so glamorous well, and also she gets all the zingers. Exactly. She's the she's the roast master general of that show. Right. And the hard thing realizing when I got older was like, oh, I would have been Mrs. Babbage. Like, that's who I would have auditioned for. They would have made me be the nosy neighbor. And that's... But I mean, I think that you being drawn to Agnes Moorhead is why you are not just a great guest, but you should be listening to this podcast more often than you probably are. <laughs> I think this is, this is very much your shit. So you mentioned Whoopi Goldberg and her versatility. Mm-hmm. When you get... Uh, when you find out that yes, in fact, you are going to be on the on the next season of AHS, and you get your script and you get your character, how do you go about? Okay, how am I going to distinguish this lady from previous ladies? Well, um, you know, I, I just sort of, I, I just try to go with like as corny as it sounds with the truth of of what is on the page, and do as much of that as I can. Um, something I want to say, just quickly going back to what we were talking about, that. Just saying it out loud, it's so interesting because I never was interested in the leading lady, ever, ever, yeah. ever. I was never drawn to them. I didn't care about them. To yeah. me, they were totally boring and uninteresting, and I was always so interested in who surrounded the leading lady. Mm-hmm. And I've always been drawn to people who were like fringe characters or weirdos or different. I just, that is like what always has lit me up and made me really excited. Um, and I'm sure there's a thousand psychological reasons for that. But that's what I find compelling and interesting. And um, it just it, – because it not only shaped, like, the way I viewed myself as an actor, but kind of my life, you know? It's like the people in real life that I was always drawn to and that I wanted to be friends with. And the music that I listened to or the art that I liked or whatever, I just found that to be so interesting. So character actors have always been, for me, like – an extension of just my general worldview. Yeah, you know? yeah. You're not necessarily interested in the in the the ones who are at the absolute top of the charts, but the ones who are over here just doing college radio yes, or what have you. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. like when all my friends were like in love with 
whomever they were in love with, I had the biggest crush on David Letterman. Like, he was my obsession. This is a little weird for, like, a 12-year-old girl with her friends. Everyone else is super into John Taylor and Simon exactly. Le bon, and which, you're on the full David Letterman train. Correct. Which, P.S., I also enjoyed a Duran Duran. Like, don't I'm not knocking wrong. Duran Duran. <laughs> but, like, I had his... You know what the problem with Rio is? We're not listening to it right now. That's my only beef with Rio. It's a great song. Is that it's not... No, I'm talking about the whole fucking nine-song album, It's a great dude. album. All of it. All killer, no filler. Go on. Um, is Save a Prayer on that album? It is, God, yes. it's a great song. So there was a... David Letterman was on the cover of Rolling Stone, and it said, how weird is David Letterman? And I had that on my wall for a very oh long God. time. So and I would, like, stare at it, like, when I was falling asleep. So I just have always been drawn to that stuff. That's um, lovely to hear. <laughs> That's actively lovely to hear. But again, so 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 when you say I'm, I'm going to hold your feet to the fire on this a little bit. Uh -oh. What when you say uh, you want to play the truth of whatever's on on the uh, on the page? Mm -hmm. What is what does that mean? What is let's take? Um, do you want to take uh, the the lady from season ten? Is that our most recent season? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <Is there> <laughs> yes. Ursula. Um, sure. Well, Ursula was, is actually a great example because she was, she has been so far, I mean, I've loved all the characters I've gotten to play, but she was my most favorite so far because Ursula is an agent mm -hmm. who, um, I, I, I didn't think she was a hyperbolic version of an agent, but frankly, she wasn't that far off right. from people I've met. Yeah. And also I actually think that, that what she did people do in real life, like what, for people who aren't familiar with that season, she, um, her client, played by Finn Whitrock, uh, starts taking these pills that help him become the writer he was always meant to be, but they also make him crave blood. Sure. He needs blood to the, – the pills deplete certain stores of iron, iron and, and stuff, sodium yeah. in your blood. And, the, and, and also the pills, if you take the pills and you don't have natural talent, it turns you into a soulless monster. But if you do have talent, you write – in a way that you've never, or you play violin or whatever it is that your talent is, but it also makes you need blood and um, you know ruins the lives of those around you. Anyway, Ursula finds this out and tries to monetize these pills and, and starts, wants to give them to everybody she can get her hands on and doesn't give a shit if they hurt people. And is just a real succubus of talent. And so um, for her, she really was an amalgamation of people I knew in my real life. So I tried. I mean, the lines I get to say are truly the most fun of all time. Like, I, I, I she has the, she's so mean and caustic and vicious, but also in the most calm and metered way. But um, the truth of it is that to me, she was just a very real person. Have you bounced around from a few different agents in your time in this business? You don't have to name names. In fact, I'd rather you don't. Yeah. I mean, I've had, you know, some interesting experiences with agents. And, um, so you have a well of resources to pull from. I do. But it wasn't – she wasn't even necessarily based on agents I had worked with. She was based on – uh, maybe one from a long, long time ago. Not anyone that I've worked with recently at all. No, God forbid. No, but, um, <laughs> but definitely – you know, people I've met in my travels, whether that's people in casting, whether that's studio or network executives, other actors I've worked with, producers. I, I've just, you know, it's sometimes you're like, wow, this really is like Day of the Locust has come to real life. Like it's unbelievable some of the behavior that you see. Oh my God. But people really are not people. They really aren't. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I I always bristle at, first off, the, I'm swooning from the Day of the Locust reference, <laughs> um, but I, I always kind of bristle at the fact that like people think that 
the show business, as rough as it is, has some sort of monopoly on douchebaggery no or way. narcissism. You know, and then people are always like, oh, this age of this and that casting director that. And yes, there's some ghastly people. But have you ever like worked at a hedge fund, worked at a hedge fund, <laughs> worked at a, in anywhere in finance, management, yeah. consulting, uh, uh, big pharma, God help you. Mm -hmm. You grow up in in uh, the western uh, parts of Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. You're adopted. Correct. Um, you have since tracked down your birth mother. They actually, <laughs> they found me on Instagram. My birth sister's daughter found me on Instagram. I've been very vocal about being adopted, and yeah, she yeah. knew some information. And thought, Because you've got a zero footprint, because your daughter's also adopted. Correct. So you, you're just not taking up any extra space. No, not God at bless all. You. It's the ultimate in recycling. So um, they found me, and I, it, it, she knew some information that I was like, that's real specific. And then I took a DNA test, and so did my birth sister, and she was my birth sister. 100% that bitch. They're lovely people. That's like, so... so lovely. Such that's... nice people. And it's been a super pleasant experience Oh, I'm glad to, to hear to that. Them. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm really, really glad to hear that. Yeah. Isn't that funny? It is funny. That's wild. And I, it's very, uh, very uh, 21st century yeah. to get tracked down on Instagram. Yeah. What... Um, uh, but you, you, you grow up and your dad's a lawyer and and you you decide that you're going to go across the country for college. Mm -hmm. and you go to Sarah Lawrence and you major in? African-American history. So what, <laughs> what sets you? You are a product of, I'm going to comfortably say, upper middle class Los Angeles mm -hmm. and, and uh, Los Angeles' private school system. What what? Is it was it a reaction to that? What what made you want to major in that? Um, well, first of all, I think being Jewish is actually key to that because okay. I think, particularly growing up in post Holocaust world, being a Jewish person, um, I just felt really like connected to. I mean, the the, <laughs> the story of Black people in the United States is so fucked, and. You know, we live in a country that's built on the most toxic soil that it could ever be built on. And um, I think there was just something about that experience that really resonated with me. Like, I just wanted to learn more about the black experience. And um, I was really, I was just really fascinated with the civil rights movement. And that was something really important to me and that I just wanted to learn a lot about. So I decided to just make that the focus of my studies in college. Um, like SNCC and the Black Panthers and all the people who ran those movements, like I and just and also because Jews were so intimately involved in those movements as well. Two of the the three guys in Mississippi, uh, I forgot their names right now, but those were those are two Jewish guys Correct. who got who got killed by the Klan down yes, there. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, and I also just think, and I hate to use this term because now it just has such shitty meaning attached to it, um, but I just think the notion of social justice was really important to me and. Um, you know, I, I, it's just it was something that that to me was uh, just history that I really, really wanted to learn about. Well, it's interesting because you would not have necessarily been able to articulate in the late 80s the idea of like, oh, look at me and my white privilege. But mm -hmm. was it something you think you understood on some intrinsic level anyway? Oh, my God, yes. And I just... God, I'm not going to be super articulate this morning about this. I didn't know we were going to be discussing it. I would have thought I'd given it a little more thought. You're doing great so far. Um, but I just 
felt like, particularly at that time, um, the in mainstream education, the black experience was almost summarily ignored mm -hmm. and not something that was talked about a great deal. And Sarah Lawrence had a really great program. No so kidding. I was like, oh, this is something I'm really interested in. I've never had the opportunity to really dive deep into this because it's, I mean, I think it's the single, <laughs> probably the single most important part of American history is, yeah. you know, the, the black experience in America. Um, and again, just to me, how incredible the civil rights movement was. And it was just, it just felt really important to me that I, I needed, I felt like an overwhelming need and desire to have to learn every single thing I could about it. It just meant a lot to me. I, I actually couldn't even articulate why that is. It was just like, why anybody is drawn to anything that they decide to major in in college. Well, that's what I was interested in. Did you have a, because you weren't necessarily studying theater no. or acting in no. any formal sense at all, no. right? Nor was no. I, yeah. but I had, a, a, my a, my eye was on, well, I guess I'll be a high school teacher and mm -hmm. that's what I'm going to college for. What were, what were your career plans wow. at 20? John, my father was a litigator mm -hmm. and I was raised to be a litigator as well. And I was told from the time I was a little girl, you will be a fantastic attorney. And I was, you know, my parents had no interest in pop culture. They were very strict about television watching with me. Like I snuck most of the TV that I watched. My main TV watching that I was allowed to watch was Walter Cronkite every night with my dad on the couch, mm -hmm. 60 minutes. The clicking, the sound of that clock, the tick, tick, tick of the stopwatch, uh -huh. that is like, I, that gives me the cozy feeling in a way I can't even tell you. I feel like you're sort of like a a, a, um, a 20th century Jaden Smith in this regard, <laughs> you know, just like really tackling the deep shit before anybody else was. Sure, yes. Um, and we, you know, the only time we were allowed to eat while watching TV was election night returns, <laughs> um, the Olympics. Okay. And we did watch the Oscars. Like that was something we watched. But other than that, my parents knew nothing about pop culture. They didn't value it or care about it. My parents are intellectual Jews. And they thought, well, you'll just go be an attorney or a social worker or an architect or a teacher or something that is a big contributor to society. And so that's what I thought I was going to do. Meanwhile, I'm at Sarah Lawrence. Like, what am I doing? That's a ridiculous school to go to if that was going to be my goal. And I just thought, okay, yes, that's what I'll do. And actually, the way I got into it was my senior year of college. Um, and it's funny because it involves another character actor that I adore named Joe Morton. Yeah. So Joe Morton, who's a wonderful actor, and he played um, – I can't believe I can't think of her name right now on Scandal <laughs> – She's a very – Kerry Washington. Washington. He played Kerry Washington's dad on Scandal for people He's who – He's a brother from another planet. That's the most important thing because that okay. movie was very – like that blew my mind when Great John Sayles movie from the early 80s Correct. that I recommended. Like a listener. super important movie. Yeah. He also um, uh, helps uh, end the world in Terminator 2. Right, exactly. He works for Skynet. Yeah. Correct. And has also just been on every single television show. Anyway, he has a daughter named Hopi Morton. Haven't talked to Hopi or had any interaction with Hopi in uh, 100 years. But Hopi and I lived in the same house at Sarah Lawrence, and there was a comedy soap opera that they were putting on at Sarah Lawrence in the dead of winter that would – they did it, like, on Wednesday nights at midnight. And the people who created it um, had already graduated, but the school paid them to come back and do it my senior year. And Hopi said, come on, let's go audition for this. And I was like, what? I'm not auditioning for that. And she was like, come on, it'll be fun. And I'd never auditioned for anything. I'd never taken an acting class. I just sort of did it for fun. 
And of course, it was created by two gay men. So there was an instant, you know, uh, simpatico between us. We'll talk about that in a moment. And I was just being myself. And then they were like, you are going to play a character named 90210. The character was named 90210. (laughs) Yes, it was. And the show, we're in college, so the show is at the peak of its powers. Correct. Exactly. So that was my very first foray into acting. And uh, the show got optioned by Carsey Werner and moved to a small theater in Manhattan, like an off-Broadway theater. Which theater? And, oh, God, it was in Tribeca. I can't believe I can't think of it. It was by the Firehouse in Tribeca. Was it oh, the, by the Ghostbusters Firehouse? Cor- yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a few little spaces down the flea. No. No? I can't okay. believe I can't think of the name. So they asked me, though I was only one from the Sarah Lawrence whatever, that they asked to come in. And it was real actors doing it, like adults. I was the only, I would take the train in on Saturdays. It was a comedy soap opera that changed every week. So mm-hmm. I did that my senior year of college. I was going into the city every weekend to do this comedy soap opera. And even then my parents were like, <laughs> that sounds like fun. Don't ever think you're doing that for a living. Wow. And so it was like a secret that that was something I really enjoyed doing. I didn't know that I could even perform. I didn't know how I was even going to make that happen. And when I finally sort of came out to my parents about the fact that I wanted to try to act professionally, my mother... <laughs> My mother got literal tears in her eyes and said to me in the most sad and desperate way you can imagine, um, can't you be a rabbi? That's like performing. Amazing. So I was like, yeah, I don't I don't want to be a rabbi. Thanks. So they weren't, and they were like, okay. They weren't unsupportive, but they were not psyched. And I think right. they also felt like, I'll be honest, I think they felt it was incredibly tacky. Oh, wow. Because again, like my... Family is from like, you know, literally the shtetls of Russia. Right. And right. my parents' generation was the first one that had any opportunity to do anything with your life. And, and this is what you do. Correct. And okay. Jewish families, as you know, are so obsessed with education. And mm-hmm. this to them was like, what? This is why we educated you? So you could go be an actor. What is that about? So they just didn't get it. And even to <laughs> even to this day, my dad did say to me recently that it was not too late for me to go to law school. That it's, was... well, it's not, for one thing. I want I want my <laughs> listeners to know that it's never too late. There are plenty of second and third acts in American well, life. I, I think it, it would be acting's loss <laughs> um, and and uh, the rabbinate's gain. But <laughs> I uh, – <laughs> um, that's wild. So, okay. Um, I really – I give you a very long answer. For no, me. I love this. Um, so this takes us – so you mentioned that the the gay producers of the mm-hmm. of the the comedy soap opera were drawn to you. I'm gonna hop over to Popular, mm-hmm. um, which has the show has a massive gay following. Your character Mary Cherry has a strikingly large. True. How to put this All delicately? We have had lunch in West Hollywood <laughs> together, uh-huh. and it is an event. <laughs> I'm saying that as diplomatically as I possibly can without reducing things to, uh, you know, demographic stereotypes. It is an event mm-hmm. if, uh, if if uh, we catch so you around fun. La Siena and Santa Monica. Sure. Yeah. Um, how does popular come into your come into your life? And, and how striking is it that that show is still discussed 20 years later and it's not streaming? It's so I mean, I've talked about this before, but. Um, I know. Why isn't it streaming? It's, is it a music clearance thing? I don't know. It's so crazy. Just change the songs. They do that all the time. They do that with WKRP. Right. So, God, they did? Yeah, it's a mess. Wait, really? Yeah, it's like it's like, it's like like clip art music. It sucks. Oh. Yeah, it's a real disaster. Okay, it's very sad. So, um, uh, Popular came into my life as just a regular old audition like anything else. 
I went in to read for it. Ryan Murphy was sitting across the table from me when I went in to read. And um, had you gotten an agent based on the on, work in the comedy soap opera? They moved it to LA. Okay. And we did it at the Hudson Theater on Santa Monica Boulevard, and I got an Great agent space. out of that. No kidding. So, and I remember an agent approached me, and I was like, I'm not a real actor. And he was like, mm, Why don't you try to be a real actor? Oh so it all fell into my lap. And I just felt like, look, as long as I keep, if this ball keeps rolling on its own, I'm going to follow where this ball goes. And if right. it doesn't, if it stops rolling, then I'll go to graduate school of some sort. And it just kind of kept rolling. Not, to, <laughs> trust me, not to say that it was like the easiest thing in the world. I also worked my fucking ass off and I took it really seriously and I auditioned like a dog mm -hmm. and I had so many more no's than yeses and still continue to get so many more no's than yeses. So I, I don't want to make it sound like, oh, it all just happened for me. It didn't all just happen for me. Opportunities availed themselves to me and then I decided I was going to do everything I could do with those opportunities. But it... When people are like, I got the first thing I ever auditioned for. I'm like, uh, I didn't. <laughs> I really didn't. It does, however, sound like there was a certain welcoming from gatekeepers. Correct. There was a okay. momentum that I yeah. followed. So well um, I got an agent. I got my SAG card on a movie called The Opposite of Sex that Don Ruse directed that Lisa right. Kudrow was in. Um, uh, Christina Ricci. Right, exactly. Okay. And that was... I only worked one day on that, but that and the funny thing is that character I played is such a precursor to Mary Cherry. But um, I just went in an audition for Popular, just came into my life like every other audition during pilot season. And Ryan was there across the table. It was his first series. Ryan had been a journalist, and he had written some spec scripts. And this was the first pilot that he had written and was getting made. We didn't know if it was going to be a series. It was just a pilot. And I sat down, and there's always this horrible, awkward moment when you go into an audition. I mean, they don't do auditions in person anymore. But these were all in person and you would sit down and there'd be like this minute while they're like adjusting the camera where it's just dead silence and everyone's staring at everybody. Yeah. And I had to learn the hard way to not to talk. You know, I don't talk unless someone talks to me in an audition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you ask me a question, I'm happy to discuss. But sure. I've just made some really... You don't break the ice. No, because I've made some deep errors in doing that. How's everyone doing? It's just... What's or, for lunch? No, <laughs> it never works out well. So we were all just sort of sitting there quietly, and Ryan looked at me and said, nice blowout about my hair. And I was like, thank you. I appreciate that. I really spent some time making my hair look good today. So that was sort of the beginning of our relationship. And I went to network to audition for the part that to, 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 for the part that I auditioned for, and I, of course, did not get it. It was between, between me and one other person, a woman named Tammy Lynn Michaels, who did get it. Yeah, okay. And I didn't get it. And I went home and I cried because I thought it was so funny and interesting and different and great. And then Ryan called me the next day and said, will you come in and have a meeting with me? And I went into his little office in Disney at the time. And he said, I have a character that I've written for you, an idea that I have, and I want you to do it. And I was like, what? Like that? Oh, okay. And he was like, it's, and Ryan, by the way, is so gifted at character names. He's always been. Yeah. He was like, her name is Mary Cherry. She's from Dallas. She's psychotic. And I was like, okay, did something amazing just happen to me? Like, I remember walking out of that meeting and being like, I don't think this is normal. Well, that's great to understand that, for one thing. Yeah, because I was so early on in my career and yeah. still so green. Um, so, and my agent was like, yeah, that's not normal to have that happen. And, you know, nobody, Ryan was not a known entity. Nobody no. knew who he was. I didn't know that Ryan Murphy had just decided he was going to write me apart for, myself, for me. I didn't know that any of this, I didn't, there's no way I could have known how important and life-changing and life-shifting that was going to be for me. So that was my first series, and I learned so much. Upon whom, if you grow up 
Jewish on the west side of L.A., and then you go to Sarah Lawrence, upon whom is Mary Cherry based? I mean... Well, it's funny that you say that. I I had a friend named Adrian Grubin. Hi, Adrian, if you're listening to this. And Adrian Grubin was from Dallas, and she had gone to a school called Hockaday, and she had gone... It's an all-girls private school, and she had... I believe she had gone to school, and I may be wrong, with Ross Perot's daughters. <laughs> and she was... The stories she would tell me about these girls were my most favorite things. I was like, tell me all about the Hockaday girls. So that was something that I was already obsessed with. So Ryan pitched it, and I was like, oh, this is a Hockaday girl. I'm going to take this and do a spin on a Hockaday girl. But we also made her – I mean, we made Mary Cherry so insane. And also, like, there's no way to say this without sounding insensitive, but – there's something wrong with her. Like she's, there's something wrong with her. There's yeah. something wrong with her. So that yeah. I, 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 she's like from outer space. But she lives life at a 10. I mean, she just, <laughs> there's no like half measures with her. She just feels things acutely love, fear, anger. Yeah, I but mean, you have to understand something. The only thing I was ever doing was trying to make Ryan laugh. That was it. Okay. That it it was I would do a voice or pronounce mispronounce a word in a very specific way because I knew he was going to laugh. I was playing to an audience of one. That was it. Okay. And Mary Cherry was also written by and for gay men in their thirties. So and I understood that inherently because mm-hmm. that like my relationship with you know gay men had been and by the way. I love a lesbian. Many close friends that are also lesbians, non-binary, love them all. Love the whole LGBTQIA community. But there was something about gay men particularly that had been really important and a big part of my life since I was a little kid. My mother uh, had had a dear friend who was a gay man. And even like as an eight-year-old, I was like, this is for me. And then certainly by high school, forget about it. Well, they were probably also among the funnier of your parents' friends. That was the case for me growing up. Absolutely. No. And also the only ones who really were interested in talking to me who were like, tell me about you. Like, what is happening with you? Yeah. Like, there's a lot going on with you. And I was like, I feel... You're not going to be a lawyer, are you? (laughs) exactly. I was just like, felt very seen. So anyway... um, what was my point? Why was why did I talk about that? Why I was talking I... about the Hockaday girls and what inspired Mary Cherry. I guess. But also it's, so it was just it was sort of that baked in me trying to make Ryan laugh, the sensibility that I had totally swiped from my gay male friends. Okay. And um I mean, you have to understand like in college my parents joke was that I you know, I majored in being best friends with gay people. <laughs> that was <laughs> That's what I did at Sarah Lawrence. So, um, it is, I mean, like I can, I can count on one hand the number of people who actually use their major in their career. <laughs> and look at you. Yes, it's paid off for me exponentially. So anyway, um, that was a lot of fun. But you have to understand, it also kind of fucked me afterwards because I was really green when I did that, and I had zero, um, like I didn't edit myself at all, and. That character is as arch and over the top and as extreme as it could be. And, you know, Ryan loved that and they wrote to that. And I didn't understand that people were going to see me as a total and complete freak after that Mm. and think that I had no ability to do anything that was even in the realm of normalcy. And it hurt me for a while after because people thought I was truly bananas out of my mind. And, you know, the funny thing is I... 
I mean, I consider myself a pretty grounded, you know, yeah, serious-minded person, which is sort of funny. Um, but in my acting, I know I can come across as ditzy or um, really over the top, and I have a very expressive face that I can't help. Like right. my face, I have a real unique face, and it also moves in a very specific way. So I understand that the combination of all those things kind of make you have a certain opinion or idea of me. And I I got, I wouldn't even say typecast. I got like kind of like shoved in a corner and people were dismissed, like, you think? people just like didn't know what to do with me. They were mm -hmm. like, we don't get who you are. Like you can't play an authority figure. Hmm. You can't play a parent. You can't like, we don't like, who, who are you? And that was such a specific role. So I got work after that, but it was not easy in the aftermath of that. You know, network executives really didn't get it. They did not get it. Yeah. The well, was it, it, was, it was a strange show. It we two seasons? Only two. And Only by the two. way, nobody watched it when it was on. Nobody no. gave a shit. No. And they really didn't understand what they had on their hands. It was fringe even for by WB standards. Well, no, they tried to make it Dawson's Creek. And it's like, babe, this is not Dawson's, no, Creek. Not Dawson's Creek. They oh, didn't yeah. understand. Also, Ryan wasn't Ryan yet. And they didn't yeah. understand who he was. And I think, and I know for a fact that they regretted letting that go so badly because... You know, I don't know if you know this, but Ryan's gone on to do a couple things. He's landed on his feet. <laughs> He's very much landed on his feet. Yeah, good for him. Yeah. Were there particular roles that got away? Um. Well, first of all, you know, my joke was I was – Nobody tested at network more than me. And for people who don't know about the specificities of getting a job as an actor, you, you know, sometimes you go in just to read with the casting director. It's called a pre-read. And if they think you're good enough, then you meet with the producers. Now, if you get to a certain level, you get to go straight to producers, which, you know, whatever. Then if the producers like you, they decide they're going to test you for this. So if they're going to test you for this, then you go to studio. And then if studio passes you on to the network, then you go to the big, fancy, final network audition. And it's been a little more streamlined in, in the past years. But when we're talking early 2000s, yep. this was the process. It took about a week, and it was the longest week of your life. You, wanted, you would lose five pounds in that week, and, and they would bring you in over and over again for work sessions. And I did 13 fruitless tests. Oh. Yeah. Wait. In, in a row. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was, I was yeah. actually about to say that my joke was if you were testing against me at network go ahead and put the down payment on the house because you're getting that job <laughs> like i tested you'd look great in a jaguar exactly i tested so much and didn't get stuff and it really starts like i mean a million things but i've talked about this before and i don't like talking about this hmm. because it... let me reframe it for you okay. may i yeah what i like to do on this show is um illustrate to um, the listener that there are um, successful actors with impressive careers who have still taken their lumps in this business, Ooh. one. And two, it's also kind of fun to set up a sort of multiverse of yeah. like, because we, we, you know, uh, on... On this show, we have explored a world where Dylan Baker is the star of The Office, yeah. or John Carroll Lynch is uh, Walter White. Did oh, you know that? He yeah. went out for that. Isn't that? And you know what? Look, Brian Cranston, obviously incredible. Guess who would have been amazing as <laughs> John Carroll Lynch? He'd have been great. He also would have been a really good Al Swearingen on Deadwood. Absolutely. So Absolutely. that's the kind of thing we like to discuss on this show because it's it's interesting to think in terms of a parallel universe, and it's just it's just fun to hear people's war stories. Just by the way, as a quick aside, one of the great joys of American Horror Stories that I got to work with John Carroll Lynch, and yeah. I got to work with him a lot, and yeah. that was 
I was really intense. Like he's he was one of the people most of my career I was most intimidated about. Well, he's with. a great actor and he's a brick shit house. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, so I mean that's a lot of actor right there. He he's with six five. Yes. Yeah, but he could not have been more lovely, wonderful, incredible, amazing. He was a killer guest on this show. He's oh so my great. god, he was a delight. I mean, he's a genius. You know, yeah. he's a real genius, and I got to do really crazy shit with him, and that yeah. was super fun. Um, so. What, what was I saying? I'm, I'm asking about the roles. That got away. Oh, yes. Yeah. So I've talked about this one before. But the biggest one, I mean, there's so many things I haven't gotten. But the biggest one was Modern Family, where they brought me in for that over and over and over again. And I For the role up, that Julie Bowen got? Correct. And, I, and by the way, I, don't, I think Julie Bowen was probably always the choice. And they were just fucking around bringing us in. You know, they do that. Like, they want to have options. Correct. And so I had gone in um, a few times. And I went to studio. I actually... My studio audition was a chemistry with Ty Burrell, and then the big network audition um, I obviously <laughs> did not get. And, you know, it's so funny because the president of the network at that time was Steve McPherson. Mm -hmm. I think I'm correct about that. That sounds right. So, and if I'm not, please edit this out. But that was a year that I had tested at ABC 10 times. Oh my God. At ABC. Oh, my God. Ten times. Now, I want to tell you one more quick funny story. <laughs> okay, hit it. I have uh, dear friends who at the time were writing partners, and they had a pilot set up at ABC that was getting made. And they wrote a part, of course, as like a sassy friend named Leslie Grossman. And they had – they wanted they, – they told the network that this was written for me. And the network said, oh, we just need her to read as a formality. And they made me test a network for the part of Leslie Grossman. And what do you think happened? Uh, Sarah Rue got it. It wasn't Sarah Rue, but I did not get the part of Leslie Grossman. It, did it remain Leslie Grossman when it went to air? They changed the name okay. to spare me that. Thank God. And I'll tell you off air who got that part. Oh, you really? I'm not going to say it on air. But anyway. Oh, monster. So um, <laughs> that kind of destroyed me. And that was a Steve McPherson. And he, I really believe that Steve really just, and I'm sure now he'd be like, I don't know who the fuck that woman is. <laughs> I'm sure he'd have no idea. That's the other thing is like 90% of the time we think people are holding grudges when they're just blissfully unaware you know and what? they drive back out to Malibu I and guess. they have no idea. But I also think he wasn't a fan because okay. I, I literally tested 10 times. And so I had a guy at uh, CBS who I was repeatedly told just had it in for me. <laughs> and he turned out to be Les Moonves' body man. No. And and had been like covering tracks for years and does not work there anymore. Well, what a wonderful person These I'm sure happen. he was. So anyway, um that when I didn't get that one, that was the one where I um I took to my bed. Like I actually <laughs> I, I laid down for a couple days after that because I knew that was a very, very special I, I, at my network test was Jesse Tyler Ferguson. He was Jesse there. Tyler Ferguson, um I didn't test, but I had two callbacks for that role. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And I was like, you know, I feel like they're going to give this to a gay guy. And they did, but then they made his partner a straight actor. So who knows? Right. So it just, that's the one that really sticks out. And obviously that was always Julie Bowen's part. I never, like, the space between me getting that part and Julie Bowen having that part is like being like, I think the moon is cool and being Neil Armstrong. Like, I, it's a, there's a thousand million miles between that. Dude, they, when that script went out for casting, mm -hmm. a lot of us read for that yeah. script. There's a lot of people, because there's, yeah. you know, 10 series regulars Correct. on that thing, and they saw a broad swath of actors for that. But I remember there being a page of, like, instead of having character descriptions, they said pictures of people. Yeah. They, and I don't remember Jesse Tyler Ferguson being there, but I remember Ty Burrell yeah. being 
being Phil the whole time. Mm-hmm. He was on the, you opened up, there was the title page, you opened it up and you saw a cast list and like, we're thinking of people like this. Yeah. And there's Ty Burrell as Phil Dunphy. I'm sure he doesn't remember doing a chemistry read with me either, but I remember him being really lovely. A nice guy. He was nice so guy. nice. Big and Mets fan. I see him at uh, Dodger Stadium occasionally when they lose to the, uh, when the Mets lose to the Dodgers. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, the, it's, it's, there's so many examples of times where I was like, I think they might have this. And then it's like, are you like, because it's not just that you don't get it. You have this feeling of like, why were you so stupid that you ever thought you were oh, ever yeah. in a position to get that in the first place? Does that still, I mean, do you not feel like after 40, that kind of like counting your chickens before they hatch kind of fades a little bit and you're able to let things go a little bit more? I don't more? give a shit anymore. Yeah, right? I'm okay. like, you know what I, like, look. This is what I do. If you're not Here's buying my resume. what I'm selling, yeah. then that's fine. And also, it took me a really long time not to take any of it personally. I took yeah. it so personally oh, yeah. in the it's beginning. Not to. What, what do you think shifted? Was it a gradual shift? What, what changed that you stopped taking things quite so personally? Um, I cared less. Okay. I detached from the outcome more. Um, and just age and yeah. just, you know, understanding. Also, when you're around long enough, you're like, there's so many jobs that you think you want so badly and the work is so violently mediocre and not good. And that's part partly why Modern Family hurt so much because it was really good. It's a great script. You yeah, know, but sure. so I, I don't know. I think it's just, I think there's a lot of great things that come with being older and a lot of it is not giving a single shit about yeah, it. Yeah. And also being like, oh, okay, like y- you always have to like consider the source when someone is rejecting you mm-hmm. and many times i was like i don't respect the source so i don't care this yeah. was for me to just make some money mm-hmm. you know but then there's definitely there's more less times than more times but there are times i still can be like that hurts my feelings just a little bit or i really wanted that that would have been fun yeah but it's it's i find that those things last for they top out of like five minutes oh, these days you know max. i find out that blank got a role and i'm like oh shit and in like I've I've moved into literally another room in my house Correct. and it's gone. Exactly, exactly. So also I do think I don't know if this is a fair thing to say, but I do think having a kid cured a lot of that shit for me too. Because I was like, there's things that I, that are so much more important to me and Definitely. that matter so much more to me. And you know, I know I'm not like a woo woo person, but I am a believer in rejection is God's protection, and it can be the God of your choice. I don't care what your fucking God is or whatever it is you sure, believe in. Sure, sure. But there is something to be said for when things don't work out, they're working out. You were never supposed to be doing that in the first place, and I don't know what the reason is, and you may never know what the reason is, but there is a reason. Yeah, yeah. You don't know that like that opportunity wouldn't have soured for you, that you in that show might have n- kept the show from being a hit. Who you know, knows? Um, and I, I, you know, and I. Yeah. I'm not speaking about about Modern Family. I'm just speaking about all of the the shows we've auditioned for that have gone on to become hits. You know, I don't know that The Office is a hit if I'm Dwight. Well, but not only that, that you not getting it means that you were in a position to have certain things happen that needed to happen or meeting mm-hmm. certain people or maybe saving you from certain heartache. I don't know. But I, I really do believe that. I, 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 uh, I'm inclined to agree with you. You talk about making an audience of one laugh mm-hmm. on... Um, popular your next long-term gig is what i like about you which is an (laughs) interesting i did by the way a shitload of pilots in between that okay i I said long-term gig you noticed my a lot of pilots and that's brutal dude like because it's so hard to get the pilot and you're so happy when you get it and that happiness is so short-lived 
because you do the pilot and then it's like, rah, rah, that's over. Um, did you do a lot of multi-cam pilots? A few. Yeah. Um, but mostly single camera pilots. Okay. And, you know, I did a series that was the last thing Jason Bateman did before he got Arrested Development. We did like seven the episodes. Jake effect. Correct. Yeah. Um, so I did like, and that never aired, you know, so I did... Yeah, they they shot a few of them though. They shot seven of them. They shot seven and it never aired. No. It showed up on on uh, when Bravo was doing that brilliant but canceled oh, yeah. thing for a while. It showed up on that. Yeah. So I was working consistently, right. but with things that nobody ever saw. So mm -hmm. it looks like you've disappeared off the face of the earth. It's like, uh, no, I've been busting my ass getting as much work as I possibly can, but that work doesn't get seen. And, well, you know, there's a million people like that. Especially in that era when pilot season was still very oh, much yeah. January to April, who would get a pilot a year, yep. it wouldn't go. Mm -hmm. They'd be fucking fabulously wealthy because their quote kept going up, but you had no idea who they were. No, and then I did like a lot of guest stars. Just yeah. like a lot of Well, that's of, how what I like stars. about you started out Correct. is you you it looks like you're gonna be, you know, maybe a one to mm -hmm. three possible recurring adversary on yeah. the show, and then you come in and you crush it. I watched the first episode of that last <laughs> you night. Did. Yeah, it's streaming on HBO Max, and it is so a. Watch that. It is There's no memory of that. It's it's really because you are doing you're doing something that is a, a an archetype that is near and dear to my heart, which is the sitcom villain. Correct. A, a villain in a in a medium that often doesn't have villains. Yeah. Um. So I put you in the in the illustrious uh, company of Newman. Uh, Let's not go crazy, Seinfeld. but yeah, okay. Um. Uh. You know. So so what. And it's also an interesting show because it's, I think it's Dan Schneider's only mm -hmm. show for network TV. Is that right? Everything else he did was for, for yeah. Nickelodeon, right? Yeah, but he also exited the show midway through my time there. Okay. What did you do that made him exit? I'm I don't, kidding. I, I'm totally, totally fucking kidding. I don't know. Okay. Um, what, um, so how does, uh, is that just like a, was that a straight offer? Did you just come in and audition and just crush the role of Lauren? for it. And then I thought it was a one-off. And then in between the first and second season, they called my agent and said, will she come on and be a series regular in the show? And I was like, what? And I, at the time, I was super snobby. And I was like, um, this, no? Like, this is something I did because it was just a job, like any other job. And it was five days of work and whatever. And I, and it was, and I took that during pilot season. And I assumed, and I got in a pilot that year. And I was like, uh, I'm pretty sure my pilot's going to get picked up. And my pilot did not get picked up. And so that, when they called, I was like, yes, please, oh I'll God. do it. And then I did it for three years after that. And I have to say it ended up being one of my most favorite jobs of my entire life. It was, first of all, there's nothing more gorgeous than a sitcom schedule. That's oh 20 hours a week. Oh my God. You get three weeks on, one week off. And also the performance is like a play. Yeah. And the thing that I love so much about it is they are rewriting as you're filming in front of a live audience. So you're, you've done two takes of a scene, something's not working, or they just want to, you know, they've thought of they something They want to have options. Correct. So they, you know, you, all the writers come around you, they swarm around you, the music is blasting, there's a full audience there, and they've rewritten that entire scene. And you have two minutes to remember all of those new words. That and they, they have you, okay, here's the line, say it back to me. Correct. Go. The alt line is Correct. a cocaine-like rush. Yes. 
of uh, and when you crush it, oh. when you crush it in front of an audience, when and and everyone just the weight comes off everybody's shoulder, totally. and like oh the scene is saved. Leslie is is to credit it's for this. So fun! It's a great feeling. It's a literal high. It's yeah, it's corny. a really it's a no. It's a very very genuine high. I talk about this all the time because also you don't have time to perseverate over it. You just have to do it. It's like I have one minute to learn this, and I just yeah. have to do it. And you have to go with whatever your first instinct is. Yeah. And normally that's right. Yeah. So it's that to me is like you really feel like you're working. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. You know the thing about when you do single camera is that. You know, you will shoot a scene to motherfucking death and it's very hard to keep your energy up. And when you are on hour nine of coverage and you've done it eight ways to Sunday and now it's about uh, we need your left hand to come into frame uh, about a minute in the camera. Otherwise gonna... it won't match. Correct. And it's it's so, so technical with single camera. Well, you've also had zero. You've had like one blocking rehearsal. Yeah. But you haven't been rehearsing all no, week the exactly. way you have on a, on a multicam. I, don't, yeah. I mean, you're the king of the multicam. So oh, please. it's a, it's, you know, it's something that barely exists anymore. And as an, I just think as an actor, it's like, the closest you're going to get to live theater. Mm-hmm. And well, it's the I always say it's theater with a safety net. Correct. Because if you fuck up, the audience yeah, sees a they blooper. Love it. They love it. Yes. They're thrilled. I remember seeing, um, you know, Parsons is a fucking machine, mm-hmm. and he was so good. But on the rare occasions when he would blow a line, the audience was just revving beach balls coming out. <laughs> there <was> rapturous <laughs> applause. Um, it was really, it was really, really exciting to watch. Um, yeah. Well, it's interesting about about Lauren on uh, what I like about you is this sense of redemption. Where because I skipped ahead when I watched your first episode uh-huh. where you're this tyrant who's out for Jenny Garth's blood, and then they have to blackmail you, kind of to like tame you. Just FYI, I have no memory of that. But okay. go on. That's how you. That's how your character is introduced. <laughs> You're going you. out for a promotion with her, and uh, they find out that you were busted for robbing a laundromat, and oh, sure. uh, they try to blackmail okay. you with that. Does uh-huh. any of this ring a bell? Not really. Okay. And then I skip ahead two seasons, and you're besties with Jenny Garth, <laughs> yeah. and you 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 trick her into going to a nudist camp oh, with you yeah. on a. Uh, I do uh, kind for of her... remember that. I had to hold pumpkins in front of my tits. Uh, that's that. correct. Yes. Yeah. So yes, you did. It was just. A fun show it was just fun and it it i made good money the thing about fun shows is that the check's still clear correct thing that people don't realize all the time and that was a really cozy environment that was like you know when you go you stay you don't you almost are never on location and if you are it's on the lot one foot away from your stage where you're shooting they just need an exterior yeah so you're in this like little cozy cave that's your (laughs) that's the the stage and your dressing rooms are on the stage. And you maybe get to decorate a little bit. I never, okay. You Can don't we talk decorate. about that Interest. quickly? Yeah. I did a pilot once okay. with someone who shall not be named. And by day one, I mean, hung shit up on the walls. Terrible idea. Brought out a stud finder. Terrible like, idea. Are, and I walked in and I was like, okay, well, we're fucked. I was like, what are you doing? You just jinxed this, in, jinxed this entire enterprise and it didn't get picked up. And in my mind, I was like, it's because that motherfucker decorated his room. I, Not only did I, I, I need, I need a bunch of names and we're, when we're sure. off mic, by the way. I never decorated my dressing room ever. Three seasons. Nope. Three seasons. Were you on the bubble every year? No, but as an actor. Okay. You you, just felt it was not. It was a Kinahara, and why would you do it? That shit, you can get fired any second at any time for no reason. And I had this image of me carrying a cardboard box 
with my sad belongings walking down the stairs getting off that stage and I was like I don't ever want to be seen holding a fucking cardboard box I know I'm so not trying to make this about me but like fucking Big Bang Theory was such a lock that those dressing rooms were so pimped out oh I'm sure those, they, like fucking Kaylee put in a retaining oh, yeah. wall I thought she put an in-ground pool into her fucking room absolutely <laughs> she was, they were so set there it was astonishing well of course but yeah I imagine on a, on a WB sitcom that uh, things are uh, 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 the a ice little is more thinner. tenuous. <laughs> and not only that, just for me as an actor, I never presupposed that I was ever going to get picked up every year. And I yeah. thought, I can get fired at any moment. Like, as an actor, that is a thing that really sticks in your head. It's not if, it's when you'll get fired. Yeah. And I have, you can often tell an actor who hasn't been fired. I've You've actually, never been fired? I don't, and even saying it out loud, I've never been fired. Wow. And I will. It'll happen because that's just the well, way that now. it goes. I've never now that you've tempted the fate. Exactly. So I just always, I've always had a foot out the door. Like, that's okay. If it ends at any moment, I'll be fine. I'll just move on. Like, that's sort of how I've always dealt with it. So I never have decorated ever. It's not a terrible way to conduct yourself. My favorite Leslie Grossman redemption performance oh, is, is Eleanor's mom on, oh, yeah. on Good Place. You know what's so sad about that is that they asked me to come back and do the finale, which I think is one of the best pieces of television that's ever it's aired. It's a great finale. It is so hard to stick a landing like that it's, and not piss everybody off, and they nailed it. I couldn't. I was oh. in the middle of Horror Story, and I couldn't I couldn't get out to do it. And that, you, were, you were doing another relentlessly positive piece of yes. work. Yes, <laughs> and that was really, I got to say, that really makes me sad that I wasn't able to be part of that finale. But, you know, I just, I think Mike Schur is an absolute true genius, and to be involved in that show, even in the tiniest way, has been, was so great. Like, what a fucking great show. I know I'm using a lot of F-bombs. Sorry, I'm not. It's, um, when I'm not, we don't stream on NPR. We're fine. I'm a swearer. No, you're, you're great. You're great. Um, what did it, it changed, it was appointment television for the whole family. Mm -hmm. All four of us watched that show together. And it was a wonderful communi community thing in our household. And it really did change the way we kind of looked at things. And we got uh, my son Walter a shirt that said, what would Cheedy do? <laughs> yeah. And um, asked him to look at it, not just wear it, but look at it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, did it, it, it must have changed your worldview a little bit. I mean, uh, it, it, no. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't think it changed my worldview. I mean, I, I just... For me, I just felt really proud and excited that I got to have even the teeny tiniest part of something that I think is so good. How great. First of all, everyone on that show, you know that I'm deeply in love with Ted Danson. Oh, everyone. Is that, you, you don't hear people speak ill of Ted. He's no, no, one of those guys. You don't understand. So obviously, I grew up watching him on Cheers, and given. Sam Malone was like the hottest dude. And, you know, I was sitting in the makeup trailer, and he was there, and I'd never met Ted before. And when, as an actor, you have to... You have a lot of first days of school, particularly yeah. as a character actor, yeah. where you're coming in on a show that's run for years and you people might not talk to you. And I've had many times where people have summarily ignored me. That's why when that's it, a long fucking list of people we can talk about off correct. mic. The people who just like, oh, this is the new temp and and ignore you. The list of people who have said hello is short, and you'll never forget them. Yeah. I remember working on a show that Tony Shalhoub was starring on. I did a Shalhoub. I stepped uh, one toe into that trailer, and he got up was like, hi, 
Are you playing whatever my character's name was? It's so nice to meet you. Thank you for coming to be with us this week. I was the killer on Monk one time. Spoiler right. alert. He was a total fucking gentleman. He is on that short list. No, but because he's like a real actor. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like he's, you can, you just know who's there totally sort of submerged in their ego and who's there to get the work done. Well, there's the people also who have been um, uh, there in this business for a while and have done work like that. And then there's people like the name I'm holding up to show you right now um, oh, who have yeah. never worked an honest job yep. in their fucking life uh -huh. and do not say hello to you. Isn't And also that when I'm a series regular on a show, I always. I am the fucking welcome yep. wagon. Absolutely. I am the fucking ask anyone who guessed it on Speechless. And it's yeah. not performative. No, I no. know it's fucking terrifying to like, walk I'm onto you. a moving train. <laughs> I, I am. I have been you. I yeah. shall be you again. Correct. And that's and, the thing. I'm going to be you again. And I make it, I, I and they're going to do better work if they know everybody, if they trust everybody, if they know where Crafty is, and you just, you want to set up a certain tone. If they are the guest star, that makes you the host star. That's what I'm saying. And also, I've just been so much more the guest star than the host Fuck star. Yes. <laughs> so I just really, like, I relate to that so much more. So um, when I was sitting in the trailer and Ted was there, and of course I was like, I'm not going to talk to Ted Danson in the trailer. And he 100% was like, hi, who are you playing? And we had the most lovely conversation. And then watching him work, mm -hmm. where every single take is different. Yeah. And every single take is the single funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Like, I mean, so funny mm -hmm. that I'm like, God damn. Like, he's just so good and a delight and really just a pleasure. And so for me, that job was just about getting to watch him work. And Kristen Bell was so lovely. And I actually never got to work with Darcy, Darcy Carden, who oh. I love and think is so talented. And Carden's amazing because that role is... We're consistently not entirely sure if this is a person or a robot or yeah. a spirit, and that's called out repeatedly. And I always point to Darcy's work on that show because um, she's she's a UCB person. Mm -hmm. She comes out of improv, and you can tell because she's constantly listening and it reflects oh, yeah. on her face. And you can always tell how good an actor is by how often they cut to them when they're not speaking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She's. It's fun to watch Darcy Carden react. Yeah. yeah, and you see it on Barry too. Yeah, they cut to her on Barry a bunch. They know what they have there. The editor's like, "Oh, she's she's reliable. She's so great. She's great. Yeah. She's really great." Yeah. Um, this was going to be a really fun one when we booked you two months ago, and now it's kind of bittersweet. Studio Six Six Six. Oh yeah, yeah. Do you want to talk about Studio Six Six Six? This is the horror comedy you did with the Foo Fighters. Yeah, that was such a fun experience, and you know, I did the pandemic, or right as everything was shutting down. No shit. Yeah, it was my last job. Um, I worked on it like the second week of March of twenty twenty. We shut down on March thirteenth. Yep. Oh my god. And they tried to get me to come in, and I was like, I don't think I'm gonna. I was like, it seems like maybe it's not a great idea, but we base camp. For that, because they shot at a house in the hills, so base yeah. camp was on Ventura Boulevard in the Ralphs parking lot. And after I got my hair and makeup done, I went into the Ralphs to hoard. Like, I went in to try to get some toilet paper and canned goods. Uh, Ralphs on, uh, is this the Ralphs on Laurel, or is this the Ralphs on Coldwater? I think it was the one on Coldwater. Oh, that's a good one. Nice big parking lot. Yeah, exactly. Sure. So that's how close. <laughs> Everyone on the East Coast just turned off, yeah, just exactly. went, went over to an NPR podcast. Right, but that's how close to the pandemic that we were shooting. Fuck. But that was, you know, 
I'm a huge music fan, and I'm obviously a big Foo Fighters fan, and to get to work with them. And I've known Pat Smear for 25 years. I was going to say, you must have, because I know your brother directed What We Do Is Secret. Yeah, but I know Pat totally, Which is the Germs biopic, but right, you know Pat anyway? Totally differently from okay. my friend Anna Warnker, who's in a band called That Dog. Of and course. She is and was very, has been very good friends with Pat forever, and that's how I met him. And so I've, and Pat is just maybe one of the single greatest human beings of all time and a punk rock legend and icon. Um, but it was really fun to do that movie. And there was no, we didn't have trailers and we shot in a house. So in between takes and in between scenes, we all sat in a room together for hours and hours were and you hours. Just, were you just masked up or? No, there was no mask then. Oh, no, they, they finished it. Yeah. Your stuff was done before lockdown. Uh, it was before just lockdown. everything was shooting. And it was like, do you think there's, this is a thing? Like, that's what we we're talking about. But so I got to spend a lot of time with the band yeah. just talking. And, mm -hmm. you know, Dave Grohl is probably one of the single most charismatic human beings I've ever met in my entire life. Well, he's, and they, they very wisely give him most of the heavy lifting yeah. in the movie. I want you to then rank the other five members <laughs> in terms <laughs> of their acting ability and i feel like it's pat and nate tying for second yeah. although i don't want to sleep on rami though because rami has some great okay, moments I'm in there i'm gonna let you do that ranking but you know i did get to spend a lot of time with taylor yeah. and i don't i mean taylor's not like wasn't like my good friend or anything i'm not gonna talk about it like oh we kept in touch and we're dear friends Taylor was an absolute joy and really cool to be around. What is amazing is that, you know, we're not in a place in our media ecology where people get a pass just because they die. Mm -hmm. um, I would point you to the reappraisal of William Hurt that mm -hmm. occurred about a month ago. Mm -hmm. You know, people don't automatically get nice things said about them just because they've passed away. But I didn't hear anybody mm -hmm. speak ill about Taylor. Oh, Hawkins. he was really fun and great. He had so, I mean, there were ex-girlfriends coming out of the woodwork who were gushing about well, him. Well, what was so, you know, and then I saw him recently at the premiere. Of course. And that was just a couple, that was in March. I yeah. think that was early March. So that yeah. was just like six weeks ago or whatever. And he was standing next to me and just saying, you know, the funniest shit to me while they're taking our pictures. And I was like, Taylor, you have to stop. You have to stop. You have to stop. I can't. I can't. You can't. You're making me laugh. It was just very funny. He was great. And it's a fucking tragedy and so sad. Um, but what was – there was another one because I know we're running out of time. What was – oh, my favorite death scene. Can we go to that? Yeah, please. So, I mean, I've gotten to die many times. A bunch of times. And that's really in studio. Spoiler alert. But, you, you passed in Studio 66, but everyone dies in that. That's so it's not true. a huge spoiler alert. But I also like – on Horror Story, I like killing other people. That's also really fun when I get to kill people. Oh, sure, sure, sure. So I have to say I think my favorite death scene isn't when I die. It's when I got to kill Gus Kentworthy. It's not Kent. It's Kenworthy. I added right. a T where there isn't one. Yeah. We were – we shot all of that. We did th almost four months of nights. And we oh, shot it. Oh, I remember when you were doing that, you were exhausted all no, the no, time, you I poor was dear. out of my mind. Oh, my God. Yeah, you were mind. fucking hallucinating. Like, I'd text you and you were like, no, please can't <laughs> speak bad. Go people, sleep. People, not actors, like crew, were like openly fighting with each other. Like, people were just like, fuck you. Like, everybody was in their baby selves because nobody was sleeping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but we shot the scene where I kill him. We're on a canoe in the middle of a lake in Franklin Canyon Park at 3 o'clock in the morning. And... It was just really fun to kill him in the lake. I kick yeah. him out of the boat and then I smash him with an oar. No, I smash him with an oar on the canoe and then pull. It just was so. You drown him. Yeah. Well, I hit him in the head. It's and just, then he drowns. Yeah, it was right. just really fun. And I had, to, I had to take lessons. I had to take like, I had to go to Marina Del Rey and take like um, kayak lessons. Anyway, that was just fun. That was just really fun. And also. Gus is an, uh, an Olympian who's meddled. And so it was fun to get to do physical stuff with Gus. My God. You know, that was really, really fun. 
So that was probably my favorite. Well, that's so fun, too, because, you know, someone with your career arc is, you know, going to play like a lot of mean authority figures on on, on half hours playing bitches. But to actually kill someone, that's that's not everyone on your track gets to do that. No, it's so fun. You know, my my wife has a as a a similar track Mm -hmm. to yours. And I don't think she's ever gotten to kill anybody. And, you know, it's it's a it's rarefied air you're breathing there. (laughs) It's really it's it's really like the blood gags and all that stuff is really fun to do. And the people like Mike McCash, who's like the I mean, I wouldn't even call he's a special effects guy, but he's an amazing makeup guy. And the the stuff that they do is so fun, like to rig it. And it's just it's fun to get covered in fake blood and to be a psycho and do that stuff. Well, it's a lot of like um, very practical effects on that yes. show, too. They don't do a ton of digital stuff. They don't stuff. like yeah. to rely on the digital. They yeah. like to do as much as they and can. And particularly in the 80s thing, because it would oh, be yeah. disingenuous to Correct. do to do digital effects for an 80s homage. You know, that's all yeah. like like plaster casts of people's heads oh, and shit. Oh, I've had yeah. to do that many times. Yeah, and yeah. Um, it's a lot of on-camera blood stuff, and uh-huh. they want to do as much as they can practically. It looks better. It just looks better. Correct. There's some stuff they just have to do after, but yeah. Oh, you know what? Here, I'll, I'll bring something up because I okay. just ran into one of your co-stars literally on my way here today. No I ran into Diedrich Bader. Oh, no way. Who sends his regards. Oh, he's so and sweet. And I would like to talk about your wig <laughs> in Miss Congeniality <laughs> 2. I want you to know that that was a job that was um, the least fun I've ever had in my entire career. Because of the wig? Just in every way. It was really? a joyless job. Oh, yeah. was it? I think it was, that was a, hun- Sandra Bullock actually just said in an interview like a month ago that that was her, le- that she never should have made Miss Congeniality too. That was a pure money grab. That was just the studio or whatever being like, hey, let's just cash in on that first one. I hardly money. ever talk shit on this podcast, but I was want- about a half an hour into the movie. I'm like, why, why is it? this? Because you're in no, it and Sean, I do my fucking homework. Why did you do that? But here's the good news about that. That is a magic mailbox movie. I bet it is. I get residuals off that movie 300 years later where I'm like, okay, yeah. thanks. No, I'm sure. But they put me in a wig that was – I can't – like it also just – that was one of those things also where – I worked on that movie for a long time. I worked for six weeks on that movie. I, well, you're in the background of, uh-huh. you say like four lines, but you're in the yes. background of so many scenes. Well, I said a lot more than four lines. Oh, and of course, everything got cut out that I did. Oh, and so I ended up feeling like a complete, it was just one of those jobs where you're like, oh, I guess I'm a glorified extra. But in the end, the money made that pain worth it. But like I went, I traveled, I you know, I, we, I was in Las Vegas for a really long time for that. I went to New York for a while for that. You know, we shot a ton of stuff here. It was just like that. That wig is it. 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 it it's very brutal. It's it a very was, brutal. Wig. I was watching on this computer, which is not huge, not on the big screen, and I was like, "When does fucking Leslie show up?" And you'd been on screen for a little bit already. <laughs> um, but that wig is something. How dare you bring that up? That's probably my least favorite job that I've ever done in my career. Probably. What? So we end on a positive note. <laughs> what have you not gotten to do yet that you would love to do? Um. What's an archetype or a trope that you'd love to explore on screen? You know, I've gotten to do horror story has let me do so many different great things. Um, The truth is beyond an archetype or a trope, something I'm really interested in now is just like working with my friends. Like that's mostly what I want to do is like life is too short Mm -hmm. and I've been kicking around now a long time in this business and Mm -hmm. I just feel like my goals for right now are, it's not even necessarily the project, it's the people involved in it and wanting to work 
with people. You know, there's there's a lot of people who go in the life is too short category. And I have had jobs where I'm like, I wish I never took this. Um, this has been really unpleasant and it wasn't worth it to me. And the jobs I really love and remember are the ones where I was like, God, that was fun. That was really, I really loved who I worked with. So really, frankly, those are my goals right now is working. So my goal would be to work with certain people. Can I, like can I, you and I have barely ever worked together. Do we even? We did. I don't even think we speak to each other. We did one, you did an episode of Speechless and you're great on it, but most of your stuff is with Minnie. Yeah. We hardly even speak on it. It was lovely having you on set. Um, well, what I want to manifest right now okay. is you and I playing a married couple Come on. on a CBS multicam that runs for five or six years. Heaven. And Heaven on a stick. You don't understand. I would fall to my knees and cry if that bliss, became real. No, I'm bliss. not kidding. I would be the lo- we would be we would be the loveliest people to everyone we worked <laughs> yes. with in those circumstances uh-huh. too. Like I don't think we're we're particularly difficult anyway, but I I, I think we'd be extra lovely to oh be my around. God. We would be whistling all day, every day, from just sheer happiness. I'm so just putting it out in the ether. Let's manifest I'm you just, and I playing a grouchy married couple fantastic come on but but loving life the second the cameras stop rolling heaven okay Bliss. it's done Leslie Grossman thank you so much for taking the time <laughs> thanks for talking to me and that is an episode wrap on Leslie Grossman you can find her on social media she's at Leslie Grossman on Instagram and she's at Miss Leslie G on Twitter And I recommend both. She's super, super funny. Studio 666 is available for rental wherever you watch movies online. And I recommend it if you've always felt like Hard Day's Night was lacking apocalyptic violence and a lot of cursing. Which is how I've always felt. So, you know, I actually really enjoyed it. Forever! Household Faces is a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by John Ross Bowie, Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Produced by Ben Blacker. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcast.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook. Until next time, when's lunch? Mm